I live an unhealthy lifestyle. Go to sleep late. I don't eat breakfast. Lunch comes at around 7.30 p.m. Dinner around, I don't know, midnight, one. How? <laughs> Why? I'm going to cling to this life for as long as I can. It's not going to last much yeah. longer, Bradley. And end is nigh. Hello, Marvelites. You're listening to Marvel's Pull List for new comics on sale. December 4th, 2019. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. And every week on the show, we read all the new Marvel comics that are on sale. We tell you little bits and bops about them. We give you some details, tell you who makes these amazing comics. And we tell you to give us all your money and read all the comics with us. It's very exciting for everyone. Tucker, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? I'm doing great. Doing yeah. great. We just recorded an episode of This Week in Marvel this morning at Sirius XM, which was super fun. Nice. Yeah, first time there. Lorraine and I had a great time. That's the most recent episode of TWIM for anybody who hasn't listened to that yet. It was a really cool time, and we got to talk about our 80s hidden gem comics, Nice. which was really fun. Do you have any particular favorites from the 1980s? Oh, man. That's a good question. Obviously, X-Men comes to mind. Yeah, I don't know. Probably like New Mutant stuff. Like Sienkiewicz, like he could draw a portrait of me, which I would hate, but I would love it Yeah, because it's him. I finally opened up my Criterion Collection Godzilla Showa era oh, nice. set, yeah. uh, and I watched Godzilla, the original, and the art that goes along with it, because each, each film has a new piece of art that they commission right, right. from amazing artists like Becky Cloonan and others. The first one, Sienkiewicz. Nice. And it is crazy good that's so awesome oh it's so great wow uh but that's not what we're here to talk about we are here to talk about comics i'm gonna kick things off with the amazing spider-man issue number 35 written by nick spencer with art by oscar bezeldua with colors by steve Furchow and letters by vc's joe caramagna now if you're not aware this is part of our 2099 story that's going on right now 2099 is the future of the Marvel Universe, which is, you know, shown up a number of times in Spider-Man comics because of Miguel O'Hara and is now back involved in Spider-Man comics with Miguel, causing some fluctuations in the time stream. But most importantly, there's this device that can show futures and, mm -hmm. and, and different outcomes. And it is really cool. There's a double page spread in here where Spidey turns it on and it sort of hits him. And we get to see a whole bunch of possible futures, one of them being the future from Powers of Ten, which I thought was really neat to see there. There's one that has the characters from Avengers Next, which was that animated series that showed up briefly in Brian Michael Bendis and John Romita Jr.'s Avengers comics from a couple years ago, which I was crazy excited to see them in this little yeah. sliver on this panel. The uh, MC2 universe, Days of Future Past, that kind of stuff just makes me so happy seeing alternate universes threading in and out of something like the main 616 Spider-Man comic is a lot of fun. But there's also this big story going on with Dr. Doom, uh, who has a number of appearances this week, which makes me super happy yeah. considering he's the greatest Marvel Comics character aside yeah. from Spider-Man, I think. I'd have, to, I'd have to do some math on that, like carry the one and the sort of divide and put it all... But like, he's it's hard to argue that he's not way up there. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I completely agree. Speaking of some legendary characters, we'll move on to Annihilation Scourge Fantastic Four, number one. This is written by Christos Gage with pencils by Diego Olatagui, inks by Juan Velasco with Cam Smith and Scott Hanna, colors by Eric Arciniega, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Annihilation Scourge lands and is full force this week. We have uh, a couple issues here, and I really, really loved this story. It was really cool because, one, we kind of start in Johnny Storm's mind, and I found that very fascinating. There are oceans of depth to each of the members of the Fantastic Four and so much history there. But I love a moment where we could dive in a little bit into Johnny's psyche and, you know, for a character that is so outwardly brash at times and confident in so many of these things. Seemingly vapid. (laughs) Sure. And, you know, to jump inside of his brain and see what makes him nervous and what really can get to him is really, really fascinating. Overall, though, as we go and as Johnny then meets up with Ben and the rest of the squad, and then the events of Annihilation Scourge kind of come to their doorstep, I just felt like this is such a classic Fantastic Four style story. It just works so perfectly because it's the Fantastic Four pulled literally into some, you know, cosmic chaos. They're forced to respond where they're looking out for each other as much as they're trying to solve the issue at hand. And then some really unexpected stuff happens that I don't want to talk about, but I found that super cool. And I loved the way that Christos wrote it, speaking specifically to like the villainy that they come up against as they go on their journey in this issue. But yeah, it felt so classic Fantastic Four. You have the adventure spirit, you have the family spirit there. It got really dark at times which i found really awesome it's a really really cool continuation of the opening salvo of what this annihilation scourge is going to be while at the same time feeling like very classic first family stuff Yeah. I think I mentioned it last week when we had the alpha issue, Mm -hmm. but we did a deep dive into the negative zone and into Annihilus and all that stuff. And having read this issue of Fantastic Four and then the next issue, I was like, I'm really glad we did that exactly when we did it because there was a bunch of pieces that tied into everything that we're reading in this story. So if you need a primer, honestly, really Go to Marvel.com. We put it in an article, but we also have the episode of This Week in Marvel. I think it was 420 or 421, which has a deep dive into the negative zone. Gives you everything you need to know that tops onto this. And then, like, it made it, for me, having revisited all those pieces, made this a much richer experience, even though I'm still enjoying the hell out of it. Speaking of, my first pick of the week is Annihilation Scourge Nova. This is written by Matthew Rosenberg with art by Ibrahim Roberson, colors by Carlos Lopez and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. And look, I whatever, we are marks for Matthew Rosenberg. Yep. He's a, a friend of ours, but he's also a fantastic friggin' writer. And you know when he loves a character and he just he gets into that character's mode. It, you know, he did it with Punisher. He does it with Hawkeye. There's a number of characters he just works with Mm -hmm. really really well nova is one of those characters he's a kid from long island and he's you know got these superpowers we get this wonderful double page spread early on in the book which gives you nova's really vast history very quickly succinctly i think it's actually yeah it's told over kind of three pages because it starts with this big cool splash page giving his early years and then diving into sort of the last 
12, 13 years of his history, which has been the rebirth of the Marvel Cosmic Universe. You know, Nova's rise of recent time has sort of gone side by side with a lot of that and then veered off because for a while we put him on the shelf. We had Nova, we stuck him in this other universe, we did this whole thing. So now the Nova Richard Rider that we see has only been back for a little bit of time. He's only shown up a couple of times, but he carries weight with him. He's this big, powerful, cosmic super cop, essentially. And now it's like he's seen his entire squad murdered twice. He's <laughs> dealt with cosmic calamity destroying everything around him numerous times. He's out on his own in space, and he's just getting drunk is where we pick him up <laughs> in this issue. But the the fun part is he has such a cool history tied with Annihilus and the Negative Zone because of the events of Annihilation. Right. So the events of this storyline, the Scourge, really threads in so beautifully with who he is, gives a lot of fun opportunities, and Matt just milks it. It was so funny, so well told. It does tie into the Fantastic Four issue of the Scourge story very well. I would say if you're going to read them both, which you should, read Fantastic Four before you read Nova. It'll just work out a little bit well for you in terms of storytelling beats. Mm -hmm. Nonetheless, if you're just a Nova fan and you want a cool Nova story, this is also going to scratch that itch. And I really hope we get to see Nova bigger, badder, boomier in front of more people after Scourge. Yeah, agreed. I, it's been funny since, like you mentioned, since I started you know, working here, I, it, there's been scant Rich Rider stories, but like every time I read another one, I just become a bigger and bigger fan. And this is a good example of that. Okay, next book this week is Black Cat number seven. It's written by Jed McKay with art by Travel Foreman, colors by Brian Reber, and letters by Ferran Delgado. This one is very fascinating to me because it takes... I just I can very easily imagine Jed having a conversation with the editorial staff and kind of laying out what about Black Cat he wanted to explore, dig into as a character, as a figure, because obviously he is one of the best when it comes to telling super fast paced, super kind of crackling, action packed stories. He's excellent at that. But when it comes to an analysis of her life as a thief, that's something that kind of enters a, a more exploratory area. And that's something that I took away in a big way from this issue in particular. Essentially, what we're getting at is, you know, this kind of underground of thieves in the Marvel Universe and the difference ultimately between Felicia Hardy and others that she may have a lot in common with when it comes to being a thief or when it comes to the criminal activity that she may or may not be involved with. But finding the difference and saying this is what makes her unique, this is what makes her not just a petty criminal or not just a thief, not just these things, this is what makes her special, is very, very fascinating. And I feel like that's what we're digging into more and more here. I love the structure of this issue where you have two people in a room and they're kind of having a conversation. And then you have kind of approaching two points like in a point of a triangle. That's one line and the other line you have Black Cat who's on her way there. And once the, those two lines finally meet, you have this reckoning of these two things in a way that I found very, very fascinating. I, I feel like if you gave this to a comic editor or a comic book like diehard person, they would be like, whoa, like the layman may not spot in the same way. But seeing like, wow, there's something really special when it comes to the talent of this team and everything going on here. Yeah, I, I nearly picked this issue as one of my favorites of the week. It's so good. Like if you took this story 
this is a perfect black cat movie. Like you right, could just yeah. take this and especially even I thought, yeah, looking at some of the pages, yeah, yeah. like it looks like you could take some of those as just straight up storyboards and be like, this is the beat you need. You need to see the fox from behind tied up. Boom. You need to see Felicia running and fighting with the hand, you know, like all these different things. I, I think that works so well. And then I'm also thinking as someone who plays a lot of video games and, and thinks a lot of other types of storytelling. If you are a fan of Uncharted, I think you will love the Black Cat series. Yes. Love this series so friggin' much. Yeah. It's great. Excellent. All right. Up next is Conan Serpent War, number one, which is written by Jim Zub. It has got pencils by Scott Eaton, inks by Scott Hanna, colors by Frank D'Armada with art from Vanessa Ardell Ray, Jean-Francois Bellou, and then letters by VCs Travis Lanham across the board. So this one is cool. This one is setting up our big Conan Serpent War storyline that ties into set as this big nightmare demonic monster but also some cool marvel universe things it brings together three important robert e howard characters conan solomon kane and dark agnes uh, dark agnes first time she's been in a marvel comic solomon kane has been around uh for for many many years we've done some adaptations of his stuff and of course we're doing all this cool stuff with Conan. Then it loops in Moon Knight in a really interesting way, ties in all these characters, their stories, their different time periods, their the meaning of having them involved in this tale that pits these characters against Set and this demonic snake cult religion thing. And, you know, if you have read other Conan stories, you know the story of Set and how it sort of threads in and out of a lot of his adventures. But it's gnarly. It's got some really gross visual stuff. If you are not into snakes or crawly, <laughs> like slithery things, this might be a little difficult for you. But it's cool. It's building a lot of neat psychological stuff, twisting worlds and time and space and in some really fun ways. It's really neat. Yeah. Next up. Hey, it's my first pick of the week. It is Daredevil number 14, which is written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Marco Cacchetto and Francesco Mobili, colors by Nolan Woodard and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This is, I'll just say off the bat, an excellent street-level story. It's an excellent cop story. It's an excellent story about subverting both of those elements. Because we have Matt Murdock, who has for the time forsaken the moniker, the mantle of Daredevil, and he's not ready to wear the suit at the moment. And then you also have Cole North, who is this uh, cop detective who has kind of been playing a big game of chess to this point with Matt Murdock chasing the shadow of Daredevil and trying to, to follow a bunch of threads to clean up the city in his way. Cole North is turning into such a fascinating character for me, and Chip is such an excellent writer that he is building in so much life and interiority to this character. He's really kind of shockingly disarming and honest in a lot of ways with Matt Murdock, with what his goals and objectives are, with the way that he talks to him. He doesn't talk to him like an adversary. He talks to him like a person. And they have a really, really fascinating conversation about all of these things. They're kind of swirling allegiances, where they are at the current point in time, and both of their individual storylines, what they're doing, what they want. And uh, the way it ends up is so satisfyingly unsatisfying. It's so <laughs> great. 
so that I think is such an excellent start to the story because it feels like things are really evolving overall in the bigger picture here in terms of this story. I remember Donnie Cates and Matt Rosenberg talking about hearing Chip talk about this story for the first time and being so blown away. And with every passing issue, I feel like I'm getting to know that more and more and more. In a lot of ways, it feels like a novel in a way to me because of its kind of patience, I think, is a big part of that. Not enough not enough time to say as many good things as I want to about Daredevil. It's, it's so, so good. So friggin' good. Also, so friggin' good this week is Doctor Doom, issue number three, written by Christopher Cantwell, with art by Salvador LaRocca, colors by Guru EFX, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. This is our second Doom book this week, second yeah. appearance of Doom, and it is... So cool. We get Doom in hell. Uh, there's great <laughs> Mephisto action here, which, you know, makes me go, what, what's the time period of this? Because right now in the current continuity, Mephisto is in Las Vegas in, in his tower, sort of outside the many, you know, the realms of hell. But there's a gorgeous big splash page in here of Doom rising from a sea of fire and skulls. And his somehow his cape is billowing and he's got this gnarly nightmarish demonic armor on and he goes to confront Mephisto which is that is Doctor Doom yeah. he's like oh Mephisto I'm gonna punch you in your stupid face <laughs> and then you know do some spells and we're gonna dance that's gonna be great <laughs> all that's going on at the same time as uh, other parts of the world we're seeing that everybody thinks that doom caused the death of thousands of people on the moon he's kind of been set up and so you've got repercussions for that varia going on for you know people in his administration people he's close to and for him himself he's on the run and that's partially why he's dealing with mephisto and then you get this cool moment where he goes from this great armor into he's just wearing a green hoodie and he's still got his mask on and he's fighting mephisto and then there's an introduction of a character in here in this scene i was like whoa yeah yes this is the kind of cool cosmic meets you know straight up adventure action mystery noir vibe that this book has on the same time we get back to seeing doom in like the present reality and things just go bonkers yeah it, it's such a fun thing about seeing someone like christopher cantwell who comes from the world of screen storytelling jump into comics with that innate sense of pacing and we move from this place into this time and it's so cool to not only see that but to see it paired with such an obvious like love and respect and knowledge of the character it's really really great stuff okay next up we have Excalibur number three which is written by Teeny Howard with art by Marcus Toe colors by Eric Arseniega and letters by VCs Corey Pettit it's amazing how well these books shake out after House of X and Powers of Ten about the different places they occupy in this new world. And that makes sense literally and logistically and narratively in terms of, okay, there's a new superpower nation in the world. How does that impact everything? And then there's also this genre side of it, which is really fun. And this book occupies a more fantasy aspect of that uh, and it makes perfect sense i mean it's called excalibur that's what it's going to be it has a dragon in it. it it has all of these things that are able to like walk on this crazy tightrope between being a great book about mutants and the new status quo of the x-men and being like this really fun fantasy world that is kind of establishing its own rules that's doing its own thing in its entirety all the while 
Uh, I got to say, one of, if you ask me about the entire landscape of Dawn of X, what I'm most excited about, what I'm most intrigued by, everything that's going on with Apocalypse has to be on that list because of everything that we know about that character, where he's been, where he is now, and how he's handling himself. He's definitely a member of the team, but he's also got his own business kind of on the side. Can't wait to see where that leads. And I, you know, it could go a million different ways. So yeah, I love that. Love the kind of turn that this book takes, especially as we move to the last maybe five pages or something like that. It's just great stuff. Yeah, I would have to agree. Apocalypse, so friggin' great. It's like, Cape Pride in Marauders yes, yep. and Apocalypse in, in Excalibur just like shining yes. so bright yeah. right now. Speaking about shining bright, we got a metal-headed shiny boy in Ghost Rider <laughs> 2099, written by Ed Brisson, art by Damien Cusiero, with colors by Dono Sanchez Almada, with letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. And this one, I wasn't sure what to expect. Also, Ed Brisson, just like... Does he just have a lock on all Ghost Rider right now? He's right. just like, oh, we're going to do a Ghost Rider? I'm going to write it. And so with all these 2099 one-shots, they're taking a new tact on telling stories that in some way, shape, or form embody what these characters are. So Ghost Rider is not any Ghost Rider we've seen before. It is setting it in the 2099 world that we're looking at in this transverse city, this, like, on a non-stop highway where if you slow down, if you stop, you die, <laughs> uh, which is just so metal and so fun and so cool. And and follow like this this gang of toughs as they go after a score. They're like these thieves. We get some cyber hacking business in there, which is just a lot of fun. And, you know, I've, I've been sort of ensconced in ancillary like cyber materials lately mm. of looking at 2099 books or looking at Machine Man or looking at various different things. So I, I love the language that is used, the sort of the visuals. And this one just soaks all that up. It's yeah. like we're going full on into the shock and core of it all, yeah. and, you know, having fun with it. But this one takes a ghostwriter like spin on things without being a pure mystical spirit of vengeance it's it's a more technological side of things and it gets really cool by the end it gets super metal and like you know wailing guitars and exploding things it reminds me of like overly violent video games and movies of the 80s yeah there's full-on shots of like people exploding or getting like you know messed up in very gory over-the-top schlocky b ways right yes it, like in fun yes uh obviously you know that stuff is not fun but like <laughs> in here it makes sense you got this character ghost rider it just it works really really well yeah no exactly what i mean next up we have magnificent ms marvel number 10 it's written by saladin ahmed with art by minkyu jung inks by juan velasco colors by ian herring and letters by vcs joe caramagna this issue is kamala khan in microcosm because her father is in the hospital, but then she also has Mr. Hyde to contend with physically, literally, super villainy. So both of these things are going on. There's so much drama involved in both sides of the story. And I think this taps into why I describe it as microcosm is because it taps into the greater dynamic of what makes this character so special of such rich elements to both sides of her life from the personal to the quote professional side of things. And it's just so, so awesome. I think Saladin does such an excellent job of 
you could feel the difference and you, you see the difference in obviously how she talks and what she says and how she's feeling, but also in the way that Minky Jung is illustrating this, knowing that there is so much more behind this character's eyes as she's going through this because she has so much other stuff to deal with other than this supervillain that's in her face right now. And then we have other bigger story things that have been cooking for a while in this issue that I found very, very interesting. I've been wondering when these things are going to come back up and now it, it seems they are. So yeah, really excited to see where that goes. Heck yeah. All right. Up next is Marauders issue number three, written by Jerry Duggan with art by Michele Bandini and inks by Michele and Elisabetta D'Amico with colors by Federico Blee, letters by VCs Corey Pettit and designed by Tom Muller and Jonathan Hickman. So it's interesting because the Marauders book is very much a Hellfire trading company book mm -hmm. in some respects because we are looking at the Hellfire trading company part of this new paradigm, but it is also the things that go outside the island, but then also the things inside the island. You have the three sort of parts of it, the Red King, the White King, the the Black King. And they even show off this, this cool section showing the different parts of the island that they occupy. We have Hellfire Bay, which gives the three quote-unquote kings their own places. You have the Red Keep, Blackstone, and the White Palace. We found out recently the Red King seat is with Kate Pride. White Palace and the White Queen is Emma Frost. And Blackstone and the Black Keep is Sebastian Shaw. So this issue really focuses on Sebastian Shaw. You get a little bit of Kate, a little bit of Emma, but mostly it's about Sebastian Shaw, which for me is so terrific because he's one of those dirtbag, <laughs> just awful, incredible X-Men villains. He, you know, was a major part of the Hellfire Club back in the day, had a, a fine part in the Dark Phoenix saga. You know, he was more manipulator, but he would come back again and again and again. He has a great power where he absorbs kinetic energy and can then use it against people. So he stores it, stores it. If you hit him, it doesn't really hurt him. He just takes it and he takes it and he takes it and he takes it and then he can use it to blast and beat the crap out of people. Mm -hmm. uh, he's very strong. He's very smart just sadistic, scheming character. So this follows him trying to think about how he can get more power both on the council as well as in the trading company and, and outwardly in the world and the relationship he has with his son. Without alienating anyone who hasn't read all these friggin' X-Men comics, it is such a like beautiful way to give you those tastes but also just say, here we go, we're moving ahead, this is where we're, we're you know, headed. Totally, it's really, really awesome. Okay, next up we have Old Man Quill number 12. This is written by Ethan Sachs with art by Robert Gill, colors by Andres Mosa, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Congrats to all those folks because this 12-issue limited series comes to an end right here, and it has been quite the ride. Ring the doom bell. Yeah. He's back. We got it. Which I really, really love putting any character and taking them out of their usual context and throwing them into the wastelands is something that I I just love because it reframes so much about them and adds, you know, an instant amount of history to how they got there and given all the facts that we know about what the wastelands are and how they, you know, came to be and all that kind of stuff. It's really cool. So it's great to see Doom in here. Speaking of Doom, I've got a great Doom sound effect. Boom. That's our Doom bell. <laughs> yeah, that works. <laughs> that's, that's sure yeah, why not why, why he could not? be anything yeah 
That's the thing. He is everything. But yeah, if you like this universe, old maniverse, yeah. this is your jam. Oh, yeah. Uh, it is time to ring the doom bell <laughs> once more because we are talking about Savage Avengers issue number eight. Now, it's either called To Dine with Doom, as it says on the cover, or in the interior, chapter eight, Dinner with Victor. <laughs> I don't know which one I like more, but I like them both yeah. because this is my second pick of the week. So damn good. I love this book so much. It's written by Jerry Duggan, art by Patch Zercher, with colors by Hava Tartaglia and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. And it is Conan having dinner with Dr. Doom. That is the beginning of the book, and it is so great. Conan's just like, all right, I'm going to chow down. And Doom has got his like fingers steepled together, and he's asking him questions. He's needling around Conan. Conan is not a dummy. That is the thing that I think right. fools people is he is a very smart, clever, tactical, tenacious, terrifying person. Yes, he is a barbarian, but that is, I think, more in how he like faces outward and how he fights and all that more so than what is going on inside his brain and what you think of a quote unquote barbarian. No, he is very clever. Sure, he gets himself into all kinds of trouble, but he's smart enough in most cases to know how to get out of it. And so Doom is sort of like dancing around him trying to figure out, you know, how did he get this special artifact and all this other stuff? Well, we get this great moment where Conan's like, look, I don't trust someone who doesn't show their face. You get a moment where Doom takes off his mask, which I think is such a cool moment of disarming the conversation and moving forward with who they are. I think is Jerry just having a great time writing two really fantastic characters meeting for the first time. Mm -hmm. And so you get them hanging out and chatting. Dr. Strange gets involved in it. So then you've got a Dr. Strange, Dr. Doom, Conan adventure. That sounds like everything I want out of comic <laughs> books. And it's fun to watch this all shake out. Jerry's dialogue is to shine exquisitely throughout this this issue, whether it's the dining scene or conversations between Doctor Strange and Doctor Doom uh, and how they like look at Conan and they talk about him, they talk about their lives and how they've intertwined. And it's an interesting thing thinking about who they are. This Doctor Strange is this former Avenger, champion, Sorcerer Supreme, generally good guy. Doctor Doom is Doctor Friggin' Doom, one of to some the most evil character you know on the planet, but he is what he is. He is simply Doctor Doom. But they don't talk to each other like they're enemies. They are just people who have a complicated history. And that always when you get them and you get the right writer telling their story together, it really sings. And that's what it does for me in this issue. All that said, I love the dialogue. I love every bit of it. But Patch Zercher has been tremendous. For real. Like. I've loved his work. He gets this super detailed. He draws a muscly dude, unlike almost anyone out there. There's just something sinewy and like scrabbly about his characters and his fabric. He has a certain texture to all of his work, and it really, really shines here. I, I, I got to make sure to give him much, much props. Yeah, agreed. Okay, next book we have is Spider-Man Venom Double Trouble number two. It is written by Mariko Tamaki with art by Gudohiru uh, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Hey, I just got out of a meeting with Marvel Comics editor-in-chief 
C.B. Sapolsky. He was in there with a bunch of people, and he was talking about being at Tokyo Comic Con. How jet lagged was he? He he, y- yes. Oh, poor <laughs> uh, I think Nick Lowe made a joke that he's like circumvented the world like three times in the last week. But it was really cool because he talked about being there, and he talked about how long the line to see Gudahiro at Tokyo Comic Con was. And he said it's like rock star level. It's really, really awesome. That's so cool. Yeah, it made me so happy and deservedly so. You know, some of the the most character filled work around. So this issue is super fun. Great for young readers. Just a delight. We talk about it all the time how these issues are so good for all ages. This one is really fun. The basic idea of what's going on. And here is that Spider-Man and Venom have switched bodies. Always fun. I'm always down for Freaky Friday. If you have a young reader in your life, specifically as we're coming up on the holidays and things like that, this could not be better for that kind of thing. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, All right. We're going to go into Star Wars territory right now. Um, There are three Star Wars books. Star Wars number one, the facsimile edition, which is the complete reprint of the original 1970s Star Wars number one. Ads and all. It's a hoot and a holler. It is really cool throwback. That was one of Scotty's picks in the video version. You can check it out on YouTube or on Marvel.com. Then there's Star Wars Saga, which is really cool if you've missed somehow in the last five years of Star Wars stories. This recaps all of it. And remember, it's all canon. Our next new issue is Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order Dark Temple. Number five, written by Matthew Rosenberg, with art by Paolo Villanelli and Rory Coleman, with colors by Arif Prianto and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. So this one is cool. This is the first issue of this series that has come out since the game has come out, which I almost, I I may have to go back and reread the entire story because the two Jedi who are in this issue, and then the framing sequence with the Inquisitor are so crucial. Like, those characters are so important to the video game. I didn't realize that reading the story before I started playing the game. Now, having gotten, like, halfway or more through the game, like, I was playing it at 5.30 this morning as my baby was asleep on me after having her bottle and she was just not moving. I was like, well, I want to play some Xbox. I'm awake. And so I was playing the game, and you interact with... The Jedi Seri in here, you interact with Evo Cordova, you, I, I'm trying not to spoil things, but like the Inquisitor in here is a major part. It's all tied together. And so it gave me such a broader appreciation for this story that Matt and the team are telling in here. And this one tells the end of this adventure for these two Jedi. We get to see Mace Windu show up. We get to see involvement in other parts of the Republic and and how it all shakes out. If you are playing the game, I stress, this is an awesome book to check out. I think it really will like make you go, oh, there's all these extra bits and it'll make you appreciate these characters that you're playing with and around even more. Nice. Yeah. It's pretty crazy to constantly think about the level of detail and, and work that goes into making all of these things make sense across media like that's pretty pretty awesome okay next up we have Swordmaster number six which is of course comprised of two stories the first is called a strange encounter it's written by shuizu with art by gunji and the adaptation written by greg pak you know it's a big week for dr doom i think it's also a big week for steven strange oh yeah. Right? Yeah, like at least Steven. like three or four appearances. Uh, and it's really cool to see him show up here. Um, but come on. Dr. Doom is way cooler than Dr. Strange. Whoa. 
Tweet us your opinion, yeah. Marvel's pull list listeners, engagement. There's no <laughs> right answer other than Doctor Doom is better than With all. the hashtag, what's up, Doc, parentheses, <laughs> Tor, Doom, or Strange. Oh, I forgot. Close parentheses. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, that's, that's, that's an interesting debate. Is it, though? Come on. Is it, I though? I am so neutral. Neutrality. Uh, I, so I, I don't just love to see uh, uh, Swordmaster and Doctor Strange interact here. And there's some really, really fun, delightful moments that happen. But it's just cool to see Gunji's art style take on Doctor Strange, the different wardrobe, the way it's all realized. It's it's so specific to this world, but it's also familiar at the same time. It's, it's really great. It's really, really cool. And I love how how he gets woven into Swordmaster's larger tale that he has going on here. And then the second story is Swordmaster and Shang-Chi Masterclasses, part six of that. It's written by Greg Pak with Fonda Lee, art by Ario Anandito, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. This one, we see uh, Shang-Chi, of course, the master of Kung Fu, alongside Swordmaster. And then we also have Ares thrown into the mix there as well, in addition to some other really cool kind of monstery and fantastical elements to this story. It's been really great to see these characters continue to get to know each other, a, you know, a kind of classic Marvel Comics character like Shang-Chi alongside really, really brand new character to the 616, at least with Swordmaster. But yeah, it's, it's really, really great work as always being done in the multiple stories in Swordmaster. Yeah, that, that issue in particular was great. Yeah, really, really great. Yeah. I, I love the heck out of it. Super fun. Uh, all right. Up next is Web of Black Widow, issue number four, written by Jody Hauser, art by Stephen Mooney, colors by Triona Farrell, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. All I'm going to say, Hawkeye versus Black Widow. That's a big part of this issue. You get to see them fight. You get to find out why. You get to see how it all shakes out. And uh, it does not go exactly as you expect. Yeah. Next up, we have Thor the Worthy, number one. This has three stories in here. The first one is called Beyond the Field We Know. It's written by, oh yeah, the great Walter Simonson with pencils by Mike Hawthorne, inks by Sal Buscema, colors by Tomer Bonvillain, and letters by John Workman. And it's a story about a character that he created? Walt? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beta Ray Bill, who made his first appearance during Walt Simonson's run on Thor. So excellent. Look, I'm down for any Beta Ray Bill story, no matter where he is, no matter what's going on. I also love Odin in his full, like, Gandalf gear. Oh, yeah. He's just like, what's up? I'm just having some, some Hobbit weed over here. What's <laughs> up, y'all? It's so cool because... This this entire issue is written by some really legendary creators, and it's really cool to see the kind of different time influences that that we have in here. The second story is called Hearts of Stone, Feet of Clay, and that has script, plot, and pencils by Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends, with inks by Keith Williams, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This one has a huge kind of old-school maybe a 70s, 80s vibe about it. Early 90s. Yeah. As I'm flipping through here and getting towards some very specific haircuts, yeah, it becomes very, very clear. But it's so, so much fun. Like I was saying before, it's another really interesting take in terms of not just the time in the world that this is taking place and the time and place that this is happening in, but the influences that are being brought to it you yeah, know, just mean, on a comics level. DeFalco and Friends had a great run on Thor and then doing the Thunderstrike stories. So like seeing them pick that up, I think was was just fun. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. And, it, it, you know, in this way, it's kind of we're, we're spanning not just 
Thor history from that time perspective, but also like the mantle in different ways, because we have this first story, which is about Bill. The second story, we have Eric Masterson. And then the third one, we have Mighty Thor, Jane Foster story, which is so awesome to see. Look, Jane Foster is doing her Valkyrie thing right now. It's awesome. One of the best books out there, but it just feels so good to read Jane Foster as Thor story here particularly because it's by Catherine Immonen, and it is also a Sif story. And Catherine had this great run on Journey into Mystery with Sif, which is, when that was coming out, it was one of my favorite books. Like, I would have probably picked that consistently when that was running if we were doing this show right. back then. Yeah, and that's, I gotta say, that classic Sif costume, I think is, like, one of the greats ever. The red and white, I think it's so cool. Yeah, like you said, it's written by Catherine Immonen, and the art is by Tom Riley with colors by Chris, Chris O'Halloran, and letters are by VCs Clayton Cowles. So to see those two team up in here is so great. In a lot of ways, it just feels like coming home, which I think maybe is a big spirit behind this entire book because uh, it has so many great flashes and references and little influences from legendary Thor moments of the past, all brought to you by, like, you know, the worthiest of creators. Heck yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, my last book of the week is Venom 2099, written by Jody Hauser, art by Francesco Mobley and Geraldo Borges, with colors by Rochelle Rosenberg and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Again, this one is a cool 2099 story that went in different places than I expected. It follows a young lady who goes to Alchemex for help. She's been disfigured in an accident, and she feels like she needs a treatment. Her dad works at Alchemex. He's able to facilitate this. And, of course, the treatment is using a symbiote. Mm -hmm. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and the freaking Alchemex people, they're just like rocks on people. They are jerks. They're terrible. But the procedure with this Venom treatment that it is called does help her. What I really loved about this is how it takes the Venom that we know, the history of the symbiote, all that stuff, and brings it into this story in a, like a cool way, ties it in, makes it believable, but still pushes it forward into this 2099 world. We get to see this young lady who has the symbiote that we have such a connection to. We see flashes of her story mixed in with the symbiote story and what happens when she is thrust into like being the other to the symbiote and so we get a really cool story and a possibility and especially there's a couple of like lines of dialogue and flashes in here that especially if you've been reading absolute carnage you go ooh. Yeah. so if you're a fan of the current venom and absolute carnage arcs i definitely say check out venom 2099 nice all right we're wrapping things up with my second pick this week it is x-men number three and it is written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Laniel Francis Yu, inks by Jerry Allen Guilin and Laniel Francis Yu, colors by Sonny Go and Rain Barreto, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. I loved the fact that in this story, for the first two issues of X-Men, it's felt like, okay, Psych is taking, you know, he's taking his strike team, whoever he wants, and going out to do missions. In this one, it felt really cool because it felt like, in a way, the mission comes to them. Trouble comes to their doorstep in a big way. We know that, given the new status quo, given everything that we've spoken about in, you know, in the world of Excalibur and Marauders in this episode, but also, you know, just uh, across the Dawn of X as a whole, there's a bunch of things changing. One of those things being that, given the new establishment of Krakoa and all that that means, and by establishment I mean that literally, but also like the elevation of the mutants in this new way, they're under attack in a new way. 
and all of their resources are under attack, their society, their leadership, all of it. So to see this really cool one, I want to say there's a group of four people that kind of lead an attack on the mutants and on Krakoa and everything they hold dear in a way. I'll just say that. I don't want to say anything else about the, who those four people are, though. I, I will say this, that it felt really, like, wonderfully X-Men, and that is a new, uh, wonderfully X-Men and Jonathan Hickman is, like, new characters, new villains, antagonists, ideas, concepts, that, like, the X-Men to me is always, like, throwing new... yeah adversity at the mutants yeah. and this is a new adversity it feels new and weird and fresh and funny and quirky for this book and this dawn of x I, I'm, I'm i'm always amazed by any story whether it's a movie or a comic or anything else that is able to bring such high drama and also laughs like in equal measure but the laughs never undercut the drama it never it never releases the pressure and that's something i definitely felt here and then i love the kind of paradoxical nature of how cyclops and emma frost and the team that they bring to respond to this threat comes about and the challenges they face that aren't merely just their enemies and what they're trying to do and the attacks that they're bringing it's difficult in a different way. Very tough to talk about, but you'll see when you read this issue. It's really, really cool. And as it continues to build the world and to build out, again, not just how Krakoa is changing, but how the world is changing in response, there is, you know, again, so much stuff going on in the world of the mutants. And as ever, the vanguard of it is happening with the X-Men. It's awesome. So that's what we have in individual issues on sale this week. But collections on sale include Avengers Epic Collection, The Gatherers Strike, Avengers vs. Fantastic Four, Champions by Jim Zub, Volume 2, Give and Take, Daredevil by Chip Zdarsky, Volume 2, No Devils, Only God, Ditko is Amazing, Spectacular Spider-Man, Low, This Monster, Thor, The God, Butcher, Marvel Select, I like that the title of one of the books is Ditko is amazing. Yeah. Not just a statement that Tucker was putting out there. That is the title <laughs> of the book, uh, which is true. Yeah. It's just true. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's a bunch of stuff on Marvel Unlimited this week. Of course, we're getting towards the end of Age of X-Men being included on Marvel Unlimited. So check that out. Issue 18 of Immortal Hulk. Thanos number two. The War of the Realms issue of Thor. Of course, we've got some of the classic stuff in there, including the Fantastic Four roast a little bit of Fred Hembeck for you. <laughs> so good. Uh, a couple of X-Men annuals. I really love the X-Men Survival Guide to the Mansion. It was a book that I had as a kid, <laughs> so it's cool to see that included here in Marvel Unlimited. And then Marvel Chillers 3 through 7, which is really rad to see old Marvel, you know, spooky horror books yeah. included in the service. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tucker, this episode of Marvel's Pull List would not have happened without the producing delights of Jorge Estrada and Mr. Daniel. Our audio development manager is Lauren Wiener, and Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. Hashtag, what's up, DeBoff? Parentheses, Tor, Doom, or Strange, close parentheses. Hit us up. User, listener engagement. And that's your <laughs> Tucker Marcus social media moment. I literally work in 
digital media. Do you believe that? Yes. That's crazy. I believe it. I remember <laughs> uh, one of your predecessors, Ben Morse, he uh, was pretty much the exact same way, and now he teaches social yeah. media yeah. at the college level. <laughs> Boom. I'm Ryan. I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your universe.